My name is Nate Mickle. You're listening to Mickles and Dimes Layer 2, where every interview is dedicated to the simple, the practical, and the underappreciated. Jennifer Palka is the co-founder of Code for America and the author of Recoding America, Why Government is Failing in the Digital Age and How We Can Do Better. She has served as U.S. Deputy Chief Technology Officer under President Obama and on the Defense Innovation Board under Presidents Obama and Trump. She also co-founded United States Digital Response, which helps government meet the needs of the public with volunteer tech support. She received the Skoll Award for Social Entrepreneurship, was named by Wired as one of the 25 people who has most shaped the past 25 years, and her TED Talk, Coding a Better Government, has been viewed over one million times. Jennifer is a graduate of Yale University. I hope you enjoy learning from Jennifer Palka today, because I certainly did. Jennifer, it's great to connect today. Thanks so much for taking the time to spend a few minutes with me. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. So as you think back on your amazing run, your incredible experiences in business, government, and technology, what lessons have you learned that you would most like to pass on to others? The first one is um, actually the the dedication of my book. No, I'm sorry. It's not the dedication. I can't remember what you call it, the inscription or something. Um, and uh, it's a quote from David Graeber um, from the Utopia of Rules, where he says, the ultimate hidden truth of the world is that it is something we make and could just as easily make differently. And that really resonated with me in, in my professional context because I deal with these sort of big structures, these big systems that have evolved over a long period of time. And people think of them as really immutable, but you really see how people can come in and challenge those and make change. Um, but if, if you don't see them as essentially arbitrary, um, then you're not empowered. And I think one of the reasons that I feel that deeply is that when I was 24, I went and traveled around Southeast Asia with a backpack and a toothbrush and a sarong for a year. And I got, you know, when I came back, I had terrible culture shock because I'd really, you know, um, engaged in another culture and immersed myself in it. And when you do that and you come home and your home world is actually alien to you, you do realize that our culture, our infrastructure, everything could be different uh, because you've seen different. And um, I think that's just helped me sort of have an open mind over the years. Yeah, really interesting. It reminds me of that quote, you know, there's reasonable people and unreasonable people and, and basically all progress is a result of unreasonable people trying to change the world. I've totally botched it. Um, but all right. <laughs> you know, when I, I, I moved to Chile for two years when I was 19 and I just remember coming home and walking into homes, and it's like, I used to live in the size of closets. The closets mm -hmm. in the homes in the U.S. are the size of homes in other countries. And I just remember having that same feeling of the, the world is different in so many places, and our world here in the U.S. is not how it has to be. Yeah, We can thrive in lots of circumstances. It's really cool that I, I think you took it to the next level. I, I thought you know, how foreign it is and how different it is and how grateful I am for so many of the things we have here and, and uh, missed many of the things that I loved in Chile. But I love that you took this extra step and was thinking about like, we can change things here. Well, you know, one of my really alienated experiences was coming home and going to a grocery store and you take for granted that you're overwhelmed with choice. You know, in India, and this was, you know, many years ago, you know, 
there were fruits, there were vegetables, there were grains, there were not brands, and there were not 70 different kinds of everything. And, you know, I didn't come home grateful for that. I came home overwhelmed by it. I, thinking, yeah. I, I really appreciate a simple or life where you just go buy rice, you know, um, and, you know, and yes, it's just different. Um, but there, you know, there's pluses and minuses to, to, to all different kinds of lifestyles. And there's a lot of downsides to the lifestyle we live here in the U.S. Yeah, it is interesting. The the all the past rulers from centuries ago would just be amazed at the most basic grocery store here in the U.S. and all, all of the choices. So I'm I'm assuming this kind of realization that you had then plays an important role in uh, many of the decisions and organizations that you found moving forward. Is that correct? Well, I think people think of government as you know really an other, like not them, and because it's sort of not related to us in some way that it is um, unchangeable. And yes, I, I think I've sort of stepped into government in all of my roles, well, in all of my recent roles in a way to say, let, let's not have that distance and let's figure out how we can make it more aligned to our values. Okay. So what other experiences have you had then uh, as a result of this realization and, and kind of segueing into other lessons that you'd most want to pass on to others? Well, uh, one thing I would really love everyone to do, whether it's our, this generation or the next one, is to do a year of public service at least, uh, at least a year. I did a year in the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy, and I remember when I was asked, I thought, I just simply can't make that happen. You know, I had a kid here in, in Oakland, and I had to move to D.C., and I had a fledgling nonprofit that I was, you know, very concerned about and wanted to continue to run. But I ultimately did make it happen, and uh, I, I can't ever imagine that I didn't do that. My life would have been so much less rich and interesting. And a lot of people talk about doing public service as giving back. And I work sort of in the tech side of government to some degree, and so you have a lot of people who've, frankly, made quite a bit of money in tech who can now go do service because um, they have their nest eggs. And for them, I, that's how they think about it going in. But for most of them, and for me too, I got out of it more than I gave. It is incredibly meaningful to do things that are going to help millions of people. To change, Even if you change a system in a tiny, tiny way, mm. it feels small, but it has such a huge impact on people. And um, I really, I really encourage people not not just to think about it as giving back, but as an experience they need to have to understand the world we live in today and to have a chance to help their fellow citizens. This reminds me a little bit of my sister. So my sister is very active in local government, city council. And when I was with her this summer, uh, she said, hey, I want to just drive you around to some of the projects I've been working on. And so she took me to uh, a sporting complex that she has. she and one of her friends have privately been able to raise money for a sports complex there in the city. And then she drove me to a park that they're building down by the river. And then she drove me to a hill, a sledding hill and a ski hill that they're building. And then she drove me to another park. And it was all stuff that she was just doing to better the community. And I just had this thought of, I need to do more. I, I want to do more. And I asked her, I said, you know, where I live in Lawrence, uh, we love the city, but there aren't as an example, great parks here, like, what would you suggest? And she said, you know, just get involved. And so I, I appreciate what you're saying here. And, and you're inspiring me. I, 
I do just need to get more involved. I, I think everybody should. Yes. Any final lessons you'd like to share before we wrap up? I've been thinking a lot about um, like how we elect officials and what we hold them accountable to. And I want people to shift their thinking on it a little bit. And I think it'll really help our country a lot. Um, we tend to think of our elected leaders as gardeners, or that's at least how they think of themselves. So when they propose a bill and it gets passed, that's a seed that's planted in the ground. And if it grows into something that provides shade or fruit or flowers for the public, that's how they get reelected. Um, but I think we all feel today that those seeds are not always growing. And sometimes they're not growing into the thing we thought they were gonna grow into. Um, so we have this gap between what our government says it's going to do, what we decide to do through a very often messy uh, democratic process, and then what actually happens after that law or policy is passed. And I think the reason is that the metaphor is incomplete. Gardeners don't just plant seeds. They tend the soil. They make sure it has water and sun, nutrients, and they pull out the old weeds. And so, you know, I think as citizens, we're all struggling with the dysfunctions of our, not just our democracy, but our government. And they're, they're, they're one in the same thing. And it's because when candidates ask for our dollar or our vote, we only ask them if we share values with them. And we only ask them about the seeds that they're planting, but not about how they're tending the soil. And that soil is sort of the machinery of government. It's those public servants that I was once, you know, it's, it's the um, accumulation of laws and policies that have been passed for 90, 100, 150 years that have built up to make it very hard for anything to grow in the garden. So that's, that's something I think is going to take a, generations to change since you asked for uh, advice for future generations. But I think we need to start now. And I think it starts not with, um, you know, bureaucrats in, in, in Washington or in our city council uh, or, you know, in our local governments, but with us. We have to ask different questions. Yeah. How would you suggest we go about that? I think that's a really interesting point. It, it, yeah. What, what, would you, what would you suggest? Well, I think there's a couple things. First is just literally, I mean, we are often asked for support for candidates um, or, you know, reelected, you know, um, officials that are being reelected. And, you know, if you've ever gone to an event where you got to ask an elected leader a question, I think once they start getting questions about how they're tending the soil, they will start to be more responsive to it, but they just don't hear it from us. And there's many forums in which you can tell your elected leaders what you're looking for in a leader. And I'm just asking you to sort of fill in that other side of it. Yeah. Um, but there's also things like understanding, for instance, if, you know, I'm in, in Oakland where I live, there's a lot of complaints about potholes in the street. Well, it's one thing to yell at your government for not fixing enough potholes. It's another thing to go ask, what are all the policies and procedures that you have to follow in order to fix a pothole that make it take longer than it you would think necessary and ask ourselves we've often put those in place for very good reasons to try to protect against a harm or make sure that some you know uh make sure that that um uh that we're doing it exactly right and all of those things individually were probably the right choice but you when you put them all together yeah. it's just a lot more burden 
then we actually want to accept, but we're not putting it all together and saying, okay, since we now realize we have to make some choices, let's keep these and remove those. And that way we're going to get twice as many potholes filled. We're just yelling at our government, which doesn't do any good. Yeah. Well, I, I love these lessons and you, you are inspiring. Uh, I love this mindset of, of thinking, you know, critically about how we can change our communities, our government. I am inspired to get more involved. And I, I love this reframing of, of the metaphor and the analogy of, of focusing on not just the re-election, not just do we share values, but what are we doing to actually tend the garden and how can we help? So I uh, just really appreciate your time today, Jennifer. Thanks so much for coming on and wish you luck as you, as you continue writing great public service. Thank you. It's been a delight to talk to you. And I'm, I'm enjoying all the other life lessons that I'm learning on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Nickels and Dimes. I hope we can all follow Jennifer's advice. First, people think of government as an other and unchangeable, but it's up to us to make government more aligned to our values. Second, lots of people talk about public services giving back, but Jennifer got more out of public service than she gave and hopes that we would all spend time in public service. Finally, we need to hold our politicians accountable for not only planting new seeds, but also nurturing the seeds that have already been planted. In the words of David Graeber, the ultimate hidden truth of the world is that it is something we make and could just as easily make differently. It's a simple idea. Please take it seriously. Nate Mickle here with two final requests. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a five-star review on Apple iTunes. Thanks for your support.